Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, March 8th, 2021. I'm Nyla Boodoo. What do you mean there'd be a pandemic? What's a pandemic? It was a year ago this week that America changed. I distinctly remember hearing the news and I thought, oh man, this is a bunch of dominoes. Whether it's Facebook's Sheryl Sandberg or Axios Today listener Mike from Wells, Maine, we've been gathering stories from people who had to make big decisions at the start of the pandemic. That's coming up. But first, jury selection in the trial over George Floyd's death is today's one big thing. Jury selection is set to begin today in the trial of Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer charged with the death of George Floyd. Axios' Twin Cities reporter Tori Van Oot is here with what you need to know. Tori, can you catch us up quick? What are the charges? Former Officer Chauvin is facing second-degree murder and manslaughter charges in the death of George Floyd. But there's a chance that third-degree murder charges will be added back in. Would that delay the trial if that was the case? It could, but we don't know. An appeals court ruled just on Friday that the judge was wrong when he took third-degree murder off the table earlier, and they kicked it back to the judge to decide what to do moving forward. There's so many challenges to this case and the jury selection. What are, in your mind, the biggest issues here? There are definitely a number of big challenges in finding an impartial jury for this case. One is just this is such a high-profile incident. People around the world have seen this video of former Officer Chauvin's knee on George Floyd's neck. And the whole city and world is watching. And so I think that this is an especially difficult jury to seat. Tori, because the whole city, the whole country, the whole world is watching this, what kind of questions do you think are going to be asked of these jurors to make sure they are impartial? We already know that the questionnaires they were asked to fill out before they even get up for questioning, ask them about everything from what kind of media they consume to their views on Black Lives Matter, their views on the police. So prosecutors and the defense are really going to be digging in and trying to find out if people have deeply ingrained views or decisions already that they've made about this case. Tori, you told us last week about how much the city was already locked down, barbed wire, anti-climbing fences have been installed downtown. What are you hearing about plans for protests? There are definitely going to be protests, especially groups that are concerned about police accountability, that want to see justice for George Floyd and his family, have said They are going to be out protesting. They were already out this weekend. And law enforcement officials have said one of their goals in erecting the kind of security fortress that they have is to create space for those protests to happen peacefully. Axios local reporter Tori Van Oot will be covering this trial for us from the Twin Cities. Thanks, Tori. Thanks. This will be the first high-profile Minnesota trial like this to be broadcast live. It starts at 9 a.m. Central Time. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the start of our series, The Week America Changed. Welcome back to Axios Today. It was exactly a year ago that many of us went into lockdown. Offices shuttered. Restaurants went dark. Sports stopped, and COVID case counts skyrocketed. All week on this podcast and our afternoon show, Axios Recap, we'll hear about the frantic meetings that led to the closing of Detroit's auto plants. 
We'll learn about what happened to the American and Chinese relationship and its continuing effect on Asian Americans. And NBA Commissioner Adam Silver gives us the inside story of how the basketball season was canceled. In a moment, we're going to kick things off with L.A. School Superintendent Austin Butner on his decision to send students home. And Facebook COO Cheryl Sandberg joins us to talk about her decision to close the company's offices. But they're not the only ones who had big decisions to make a year ago. We've been asking you to share what you were thinking. This is Marty Boyzik from Wichita, Kansas. As soon as our family heard that Tom Hanks and his wife had been diagnosed with COVID, we immediately canceled our spring break plans. Hey, my name is Jason. I'm actually a musician. I live in the east side of Los Angeles. I uh, wrote a book, launched a coffee company. Monica Davis. I'm currently in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I had to make the decision to go home to the U.S. to be with my family, but supporting my team in Malaysia by working the night shift. I did that for five months and eventually made my way back to Malaysia in the middle of August. I can't leave because if I leave, they won't let me back in. I miss my family terribly. Jason Boyd and I'm slow with Mississippi. As a teacher, I made a uh, choice right away that I would not be one who was sitting in judgment of others who did contract it because many people did what they were supposed to do. What to do with teachers, students, and public schools was one of the toughest decisions that week a year ago. As we started to see cases emerge, we started to see this threat emerging, uh, we started to plan for it. Austin Butner, L.A. Unified School Superintendent. He runs the second largest district in the country. So last March, deciding to send home more than 600,000 students was a pretty big decision. None of us had perfect information, but we had enough at that point, I felt, to make the decision. And then it became logistical. Where do we go from here? Are our schools prepared? What does the week or two or three or month ahead look like? We thought about what we would need to do to send students home with homework, send them home with a computer. We had talked about it enough before. It was not a surprise to any of our board. And when I made the decision, we quickly pivoted to, okay, we made it. Now I need to get ready to talk to everybody who works with us. They need to understand where we're going. That's 86,000 people for whom this is going to be maybe a bit of a surprise, certainly concerning. And they're the connection to the students. While Austin Butner was deciding to close schools that week, Facebook's chief operating officer, Cheryl Sandberg, had to decide what to do with the company's tens of thousands of workers in offices. She says they had to decide quickly with imperfect information. We just felt like we had to jump in. I think we were very early in this. The language at the time was that if people stay home, we can flatten this curve. You are doing a public service by protecting other people. And then on March 6th, we just told Bay Area employees to work from home. If you had said to me, can people work remotely? We had talked about people working remotely before and we didn't think it was possible. It wasn't just that we sent everyone home, it's that we put in place a lot of policies, which we were lucky we were able to do to try to keep people in the workforce. We gave everyone last year 10 additional weeks of COVID leave. We just tried to move quickly as those needs came up. I definitely heard later that people followed some of the examples we set, and I was happy about that. Um, For women out there, I wish more companies did more of it. Now I know we're a very, you know, profitable business. We have those margins to do it. We have responsibility to protect our employees. We have responsibility to protect the people using our services and our products. 
I mean, I think so much of our lives have changed from working from home. It turns out Zoom works really well. There's a lot more of that conversation with Cheryl Sandberg on today's Axios Recap, including some of the earliest conversations she had with Mark Zuckerberg about the virus. That drops this afternoon. The full conversation with Austin Butner will be on Recap tomorrow. Before we go, today is International Women's Day. And one thing to think about, something Cheryl Sandberg alluded to, 2.3 million American women have left the workforce since the pandemic started. The number of American women in the labor force is at its lowest level since 1988. That's it for us today. You can reach your team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter. My handle is Nyla Boudou. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning for more special coverage of the week America changed in March 2020.